Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to start by thanking you, the listeners, for your feedback to the podcast, as well as remind and even encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions or questions to CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada, R-E-I-N, Canada.com. Look forward to hearing from you. And if you're inclined, I'd definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show and comment on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the Everyday Millionaire team and I. It is definitely appreciated and we use it. So let's get this show started. Now, we talk about feedback, and given the feedback I've received from listeners, today's episode is actually a kickoff to what I'm simply calling the Everyday Millionaire Rain Member Specials segment. As many of you know about the Real Estate Investment Network, it is a national community of investors who are taking action in building their financial futures through investing in real estate. And as a matter of fact, we have many RAIN members who follow the show. I'm blessed to be able to talk to them on a regular basis. And so these special segments will be discussions with RAIN members about their journey to achieving their goals, their financial goals, their real estate goals, their lifestyle dreams, their contribution to others. And as I like to say, it's seemingly ordinary people working towards and achieving really extraordinary results. So these individuals are inspired to share their stories with us and provide a look into what they've learned on their path as real estate investors. At the end of the day, there's just so much to learn from others who've gone before us. And uh, that's what these segments will be focused on. Today, my guest is Renee Hoos. I've gotten to know Renee a little over the past couple of years, so I'm gonna start by giving her her introduction and speak to her highest values, which is that She's a super mom to three fantastic children and a wife to an amazing husband. And along with all of that, she's an entrepreneur, she's a real estate investor, she's a coach, and far more than any of all of that. So a little bit of her bio, after moving to Calgary in the late 90s to play basketball for UFC, and then spending 10 years trading commodities through one of the wildest oil and gas runs that Alberta's ever seen, Renee landed in the real estate world about four years ago. Her real estate portfolio consists of 
a real nice group of single-family homes in Southeast Calgary, a portfolio of suited properties in Edmonton, and a rent-to-own deal along the way. She's a big voice for positive tenant-landlord relationships and manages her own properties. She's an avid skier. She loves biking and walking. She's a bookworm. She's an international travel junkie. She's a landlord to 26 dynamic families. And most recently, she's a mentor and a mortgage advisor now to new home purchasers. So on top of the fact that she does and has achieved all of those things, she's also an award-winning RAIN member, having recently won the coveted Michael Milliner Leadership Award. And when I think of Renee, I can't help but think of words to describe her such as tenacious and funny, high energy, incredibly coachable. And of course, she's very smart and very driven and mostly to her commitment of being a contribution to others. Like many of my guests, Renee's journey to achieving the milestone I I happen to call being an everyday millionaire is marked by a lot of hard work focused on a commitment to her why, which is her family's life and lifestyle. Join me now as Renee and I chat about life and real estate. Renee, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Excited to have you on the show today. You're a long-term RAIN member or a longer-term RAIN member. I've had many conversations with you, gotten to know you. You're recently an award winner, and we want to talk a little bit about that. But before I get started, guests don't know you, people listening don't know you, and I always like to open with, what's your elevator pitch? If I walked up to you today meeting you for the first time and I said, hello, Renee, I'm Patrick, and what do you do? What would your answer to, what's your elevator pitch in terms of what Renee Hoos does? So... I am buying real estate because it's allowing me to do more of the things that set me on fire with the people that I love. So you've been a RAIN member for about three, almost four years, three and a half years. You're an award winning. You've recently won the Michael Milliner Leadership Award. And we're going to talk about that. That's a kind of a statement of who you have, who you are. Not, I'm just going to say who you've become, but you know, certainly who you've become in the community but actually who you are as I've gotten to know you a little bit. But I want to go back. I always like to start and see the journey of individuals who have been successful in real estate. As for listeners, this is about learning and understanding how people who have had success, what is their background? How did they get started? And what are some of the revelations, the learnings that you've had along the way that you would share? So if we go back, did you graduate university? I did, yeah. And what, what was your, did you get a degree in something? What was your background from university? I have a finance degree and I have an international business diploma that I did a little program in France for a few years. In France. So how long were you You're in France for, well, how old were you back in those Two days? years. Two years? Yeah. So I, I moved to Calgary to play basketball for UFC you're in tall. 98. You're tall. How tall yes. are you? I'm six feet tall. Oh, I thought you were taller. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I give you a hug, maybe because you got heels on or something. Yeah, I give you a hug. I don't have yeah. to ever bend my knees. <laughs> so I'm six, I'm a little over six one, and it seems that you're taller than me, but you're a tall lady. So were you successful in the basketball world, by the way? Do you know what? Not really. I mean, I was, I was a great cheerleader from the bench. Um, and yeah, my coach always used to say to me, you know, you're not that good, but you just try so hard. I can't cut you. <laughs> uh, there you go. And that's definitely a, a characteristic or a part of your character that I've come to know. You try hard. You work hard. 
<laughs> and you're incredibly coachable, by the way. So you came you. you came to uh, Calgary and you met your husband in Calgary? I did, yeah, but not until I had come home from France. Now, where is your family? In Calgary or where, where are you based? Uh, Medicine Hat. Oh, Medicine Small Hat. Small town girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, so you come to Calgary, you're, uh, you left France, you came to Calgary, you graduated university, and what was next for you? You, I know there's a background in trading, and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was really fortunate to grab an internship at Reliant Energy, um, but it was just as Enron was exploding. Um, so Reliant Energy, in the two months I worked there, went from like 45 employees to four employees and the summer student. <laughs> um, so it was an interesting time. But then uh, the industry did a bit of a head fake and it started booming again. So I was really lucky to get a job at a tiny trading company called Encirco Energy, working with a really brilliant group of traders. So was that your education? So you had your international business in, mm-hmm. and your so background in finance. Was that you, you applied that degree and, and that education to that world? It was helpful for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in any business, it was a lot of just learning. Trading is a real sink or swim world. So you sort of need to make a certain amount of money in your book to pay for your seat. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much a just sort of jump into the fire type job. And um, I can make a mean spreadsheet, a mean Excel spreadsheet. So that definitely helped. <laughs> so, so you made, so you, I mean, you made some good money back in those days. You, uh, you did I very did. well financially. Had you met your husband mm-hmm. at that point? I met him a few years into trading and he, he was a trader as well. He traded for BP at that time. Yeah. And so you collectively, you got together, you, were, you had made some money, but you were a little bit thrifty with it. Is that the case? We were very thrifty with it. Yeah, definitely. We knew that we, we knew that we were living in the most booming city in North America. We had great jobs and we needed to do something with that money because we are in such a fortunate position to have made um, a good chunk of money in our twenties and early thirties. And so we definitely shoved it under the mattress, trying to think about the right thing to do with it, to make it work for us. Where did this uh, tendency to Number one, put money under the mattress. Was that were you brought up that way with your parents? Is is that is that a family yeah. thing? What, what was what did you learn back as a kid that you applied it that you think you move forward with? So um, I, I'm from Medicine Hat, as we said, and uh, my mom is from rural Saskatchewan, and um, her dad passed when the when she was quite young. And so my mom comes from nothing. My dad comes from nothing. And they really, you know, they gave me an amazing childhood, but definitely they made a lot of their decisions from scarcity, Mm. really from a place of, of scarcity, not abundance. And so I think I really, that's definitely bred into me. Like we need to save this. This is an opportunity. We may not get another one. Kind of that scarcity mindset. I would say some of that comes from where where I came from for sure. Now, when you're in Calgary, so you've got this whole world, you're making big money and you've got, you know, you're you're being frugal, you're being thrifty. And you and your husband, you know, your now husband, when did you get married? 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So, yeah. And in you, September. Now, you've got a, a your your a 
I mean, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a real estate investor, you're an entrepreneur, three children. I want to go into when you and Mike decided you're in Calgary, you see the opportunity in real estate. How did that show up for you? Were you just kind of observing what was going on in Calgary in the real estate world and you saw an opportunity? Where did you learn about real estate investing? I don't mean learn how to, but where did it show up for you as like, holy cow, I got to take advantage of this real estate market in Calgary right now? So I think a lot of that comes from, so I traded physical natural gas. So my job as a trader was to go out and seek undervalued, mismanaged assets, and then use leverage, use our company's revolving line of credit to go purchase them and figure out ways to better manage them or reposition them so that they would make a return. That was my job for 10 years. And it's actually kind of surprising to me that it took me 10 years to realize that I could be doing that with real estate with my own money. <laughs> it's actually kind of sad, really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that we once I quit working, and I think I actually took some time to think about what we could be doing, we got thinking about real estate. But yeah, the truth is I had no idea how to do it or what that looked like until I came to rain. So... Where did, you know, so take me back a little bit. I mean, your parents, uh, you come from a kind of a meager background. You know, your parents are self-made to the degree that they are. They've raised uh, their family and you. And do you think that you always had somewhere in you an entrepreneurial spirit? Because you do have, seem to have that entrepreneurial spirit. And where did you start to notice that? Where did that come from? Or when did you start to realize that that's what you wanted to do? I would say... I actually, amazingly enough, used to be kind of shy, if you can believe it. And um, and so I, I moved to Calgary to play, play basketball at UFC. And I thought, you know, I, I was small town. And it's sort of like if you're bright and eager, you could be a doctor or you could be a lawyer or you could be a teacher. Like There was no, you know, guidance counselor that offered, hey, have you ever thought about business? Have you ever thought about entrepreneurship? Have you ever thought about finance? So I moved to Calgary to play basketball at UFC. I was going to be a doctor and I hated everything to, to tell you the truth. I hated absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of years after I lived in Calgary, I dropped out of UFC. I quit playing basketball and I worked like a dog all summer to make as much money as I could. And I bought a plane ticket to France and I, and I applied to this little business diploma and I remember getting off the airplane. I'd never been overseas until I moved to France. And I don't think my parents or my mom hadn't at that time anyway. And I'd made the decision when I woke up after crying for three days, when I arrived and realized what I did, I made the decision that I could be whoever I wanted to be. Now, when you reflect back on that, do you see where that's kind of a brave thing to do. Does it, when you look back, did it feel brave at the time or does it, in reflection, does it feel like a pretty brave thing for a 19 year old to do? So I don't look at it as something brave as much as I look at it as a consistent decision with me. My whole life, if I didn't like something or if I wasn't happy with something, I've changed it and things weren't going as planned and I made a change and I'm really glad I did. And I think it really just solidified that I know now in my life, that's what I need to do. If I'm not happy, I need to make a change. 
So your your evolution into the world of real estate. So now you move to Calgary, you're being the trader, you meet your husband, you have three children. Now all of a sudden you're saying, I'm a RAIN member and I'm going to start investing in real estate. Like forge ahead all the way to today and the journey along the way. Now, are, is your husband, Mike, are you both involved in the world of investing in real estate equally or do you lead the charge in that regard? So Mike still works full time as a trader at Suncor. Mm -hmm. And so our agreement is that as long as he's doing that, that's what allows us to be bankable enough to get mortgages and buy properties, essentially. So he takes care of that side by having a, by being steady Eddie and I get to be crazy real estate lady. <laughs> And and you do a pretty good job being crazy real estate lady. Uh, you own properties. You own properties in Calgary, but where else? So where else do you own real estate? So I own real estate in Calgary and in Edmonton and in Spruce Grove. And you are basic a buy and hold strategy. That's your that's the game that you play. Yes, it is. I um, because I find Barry and company quite fascinating. I did um, explore Barry's course and do one rent to own deal. And that is a, a fascinating strategy and, and not my strategy. So basically. that you're talking about Barry McGuire did his RTO yes. course. So you took that, Yes. but you're not a yeah. RTO strategy fan. No. And it's not that I'm not a fan. It's just that I think there's a lot of people doing it really well. And I put a, so much time and effort into getting one deal and in the end, what I know about myself is that I just love my long-term buy and hold strategy so much. And I think that, I think that as we enter rain, it's like, I just felt like I had shiny object syndrome for a few years, you know, like there's all these awesome ideas going on all around you in a room. You want to try a little bit of everything, but in the case of me, I know that I really want to just be a specialist in long-term buy and hold real estate. And now I have some data to know that that's for sure what I want to do. <laughs> well, so, you know, I always like to look at those individuals that have the success that they have and, and really start to see if we can uncover some takeaways for listeners about where that success lives and what kind of focus you had. Now, Mike's a big part of your life and you guys uh, have a great relationship and three beautiful children and he works and he's the steady Eddie, as you say. He's, uh, you know, he, he's your, he's, he's what allows you to get to the bank and get mortgages and, and that kind of work. Yeah. Now, in the, in the world of what you're doing, how important is the relationship that you have with Mike? Is he supporting you? Or are you supporting him? How does that all work? Because you're pretty busy with the real estate or you can be. And so how does that work within your relationship? How do you make that all happen? So I have to say, as cheesy as it might sound, I mean, I hit the jackpot with that guy for starters. Mm -hmm. Let's start there. But we have an awesome, awesome relationship in that we know we have common goals. We know that we don't want Mike to work downtown forever. We know what we want our lifestyle to be like. We know what we want it to look like. We want to spend lots of time outside. We want to be able to support our kids with their education. So our goals are so aligned that it's so easy for me to say, hey, listen, You've got to leave work early and grab the kids because I have to run out to Mackenzie town and deal with something with properties. And we're both so fired up about what our future looks like and what our today gets to look like that that's just no big deal. And what's interesting is that all the other work that I've done in rain around why I'm doing what I'm doing, it's just, 
it's really just brought Mike and I closer. It's, it's aligned our goals. It's aligned our values. And I think it's really strengthened our marriage. So you are an REIA. So you're a real estate investment advisor. You got into the world of coaching with Rain as well. So when you look at some of the coaching that you've done, do you have an experience in terms of where people get stuck because of a relationship that maybe they aren't aligned? Because for me, you know, being in this industry as long as I have in the business of educating people and coaching people to invest in real estate, I think that that is such a, you know, that's such a, can be such a big block, a big hurdle to get over if a couple isn't aligned. You have one that's fearful, one that's excited. And so do you see that? Have you seen that as well as a, as a coach? Absolutely. And where I see it a lot is somebody wants the big fancy principal residence and somebody would rather live in a more modest home and buy a rental property and they can't decide. So they just do nothing. And I've seen it, I think with every single person that I've coached, I've actually not coached somebody yet that there wasn't a block in terms of getting both people in the relationship aligned with, with what they want. So that would be probably a really important, well, it's obviously an important step. It, it actually would probably be an important first step to make sure that you're working you know, synchronistically, if you can, with your partner, or at least, you know, we always, I use the term, you don't always have to agree, but you need to align. And so somebody, Absolutely. you know, somebody can say, well, I don't agree with what you're going, but I'm going to get behind it 100%. And, uh, and, you know, I'll get behind it full stop as opposed to, I don't agree and I can't get behind you. So then you're in that world of, a a, in this case, a married couple, they, they're struggling because of that and they still want to invest in real estate. So that's a little bit long winded answer or, or conversation, but I want to go back to something that you said that was very interesting because in the journey of all of this, you and Mike were very focused. You were really clear on the lifestyle that you wanted to create for yourselves. I know you're very outdoorsy. You're, I say that only because I follow you on Instagram and Facebook <laughs> and all the things that you guys, you know, with your three kids, you're skiing or you're backpacking or you're doing all the things that you do. So tell me about a little bit about that lifestyle. Was that a conversation that you and Mike literally sat down and said, you know, is, are those a constant conversation? How do you, how do you do it? So for us, um, for us, this is the way it went. We said, we love spending time outside. Like if you have to ask me, you know, when I feel the most brave or when I feel the most excited, it's when I'm moving my body, breathing fresh air, it just, it just sets me on fire. And so we decided we wanted to build a cabin that we weren't going to rent out. It was going to be our sacred place, which we know is a terrible investment. (laughs) So our, our decision was we have to be making enough cash flow and enough mortgage pay down that we're comfortable that that's offsetting the cost of our cabin. So our real estate, the cash flow from our real estate pays for that cabin. And so when we made that decision, we know we love our life out there. And so when a hot water tank goes or, you know, a tenant moves out that you didn't want to move out or whatever it is, it's fine. Because I know that my hard work around that real estate is paying for those 75 days a year, I get to be at that cabin with my kids, breathing mountain air, and and there's nothing that makes us happier. So, so when you look at real estate, you know, supporting a lifestyle, and you're working backwards from what it ultimately will 
will look like for you. And I mean, there's, it's, it, that's of course progressive. It's ongoing. We are always, you know, our values change, our focus changes. And of course, as our children age, then all of a sudden they're throwing curveballs at us going, yeah, well, you know, the cabin's great mom, but I would, I want to move to France. <laughs> are you okay with that? <laughs> Um, so yeah. even in your own development though, so your personal professional development, how much of that have you done? I mean, you joined rain and of course there's always a component of that in what we do, but what have you learned about yourself in the past four years as a real estate investor? I think that my, my big learning is that instead of just being frustrated or being stuck or being pissed off for what it's worth, I really have taken opportunities to get curious about why I'm behaving the way I am or why I'm showing up the way I'm showing up that day. And I never knew before I started this journey that getting curious about why you're, you are who you are, or you're thinking the things you're thinking, there's so many answers in that. And there's so much freedom in it because I think once you get a better understanding of how you're showing up, then you can it's just really easy to align what you want and where you're going. And, and it just feels like instead of taking this messed up path towards a goal, it's like laser focused now. The work that you did as a trader, what did you learn from that that you bring forward into the world of real estate? I know you joke about it and go, why didn't I get real estate figured out sooner? But I mean, the reality of it is, is that your journey as a trader was also, I'm assuming, gave you some good insights into the world of real estate or you brought some of those talents forward. Was Is that the case? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing that's translated from my trading career to my adventures in real estate is really that markets are constantly changing. And so every single day I wake up and my real estate portfolio is what it is that day. And the market is what it is that day. So focusing on where it's been or what rents used to be or what tenants I used to have, that is just such a colossal waste of time and energy. Because every single day when you trade daily, you just have to come in and deal with the market as it is. So in real estate, I wake up every single day and say, it's a bit, it's a bit rough in Alberta right now. What am I going to do to incentivize tenants to stay? Because the market just is what it is. And so I think that was really bred into me for 10 years. So, you know, in times of panic, I don't panic. I just think, well, this is the market. So how am I going to take advantage of the market as it is today? Wow. You know, I'm going to say, I want to spend a little bit of time on that one because I think over the years in working with investors and just coaching in general is what I, one of the things I coach is what is, and you can only deal with what is we live in the world of frustration mm -hmm. about what it should have been, what it could have been, what it was and what it isn't. So you've really applied in your own life, a way of looking at the world going, I've got to deal with what is and be strategic and make the decisions I make with what is and not living in the past. Mm -hmm. So does that, where does that leave you emotionally, mentally in your world? Are you, do you find yourself pretty balanced in that thought process? Yeah, I'm hopelessly rational and balanced. Like it's just when you come at life with that mindset, it's hard to get that upset. Like, of course, you know, I, I feel emotions that I might feel sad about something, but it takes away all the excuses too, right? Because it just is. 
and it needs to be dealt with. And that's it. So you're, I know you're, you to be very coachable. Are you comfortable? Are you quick to ask for help when you feel stuck or when you don't have the answer? Do you reach out to people around you? I'm working on being better at that. Mm-hmm. I would openly admit moments of ego where asking for help might feel like admitting you're wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely working on asking for what I need. And so in the world of RAIN, you were an REIA and you coached some individuals. Was that also, what, was there anything that you, if you were to take away something from the learning of being a coach, is there one or two or four or five, whatever things that really stand out for you that you saw as common or things that you saw as, I don't want to call them trans, but yeah, is there some common things that you ran across as a coach that got in people's way? Definitely. So for, for starters, I would say the relationships and, and it's not just a, a marriage relationship, but it, it really, we really need to surround ourselves, not necessarily with people that agree with us, but people that are supporting us. Right. And, um, alignment versus agreement is, it was the best you said it, Patrick, it was perfect. Um, that the other thing that, really has shown up for me a lot in coaching people is that I think we get so excited about investing and wanting to be a full-time investor that oftentimes people walk away from their day job, which, and they forget that that money or that mortgage, that ability to qualify for mortgages is what is going to allow them to be a full-time investor more quickly. And I also have seen once people get to a certain number of properties and they're managing them themselves and we don't want to spend an extra dollar on anything because we want that, you know, $500 of cash flow every month, real estate can kind of eat away at people's personal lives a little bit. And so I have seen a number of investors that sort of had it all figured out and then sort of bumped over that critical mass of having properties, having a lot of properties and then didn't hire help or didn't ask for help where they needed it. Those would, I would say, are the three big themes. So just overwhelm them with the to-dos and then all of a sudden real estate becomes a, a big task, a big elephant to deal with and overwhelms them and shuts them down in some cases? Yeah. And I think it just, we quit choosing the times that we're going to deal with it and managing it responsibly because it just, there's so many things going on that all of a sudden you haven't had dinner with your family in four nights. And what does that look like, Right. That wasn't why we started investing in real estate. It was to try to do more of that, probably, right? So you recently won the Michael Milner Leadership Award, which is about you being a contribution in the room and being a contribution to the RAIN community. And there's a place where what really lights you up is helping people. Now, we'll talk a little bit about you in the world of becoming a mortgage broker as part of you've stepped into that world and supporting people in the, in getting financing and being able to grow a portfolio. Do you think that's a purpose-driven thing? What have you learned about yourself in terms of helping others and how you show up in an environment or community like rain? Cause I know rain's your kind of go-to place, but you create other relationships, other communities for yourself is what have you learned about yourself in, in that way? I think I've learned that, well, first of all, I do know about myself that I, I don't do anything unless I believe in it wholeheartedly. And I really work hard to just show up with an open heart and open to ideas and live where opportunity lives. And I get really excited about everything. And so what I've learned is that 
when I've been able to coach somebody or work with somebody in the rain community or even some of my tenants or people outside the rain community and talk to them about what their why is or what their think bigger is or challenge them to just think of what their life could be or ask them a few extra questions about the things that set them on fire, the people they love, it really lights them up. And every day it just becomes more and more clear to me that, that that's a really awesome contribution and, and it lights me up. It sets my heart on fire. That's for sure. So in the world of being a mortgage broker, which is what you're doing now, that gets to be, you get to be a bit of a contribution and, or a lot of a contribution. So you're not just dealing with real estate investors, you're dealing with people that are buying uh, real estate for the first time. And do you find that just in the nature of being a contribution, you're always what you bring to the table as opposed to what you get? So you're not transactional, you're very relational in how you just live your life is what it sounds like to me. Would that be an accurate description for you? Yes, I think so. I really work hard, really work hard at building meaningful relationships with people. And it's selfish too. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, you love it. Of course, you're giving and receiving the same thing. Yeah. Um, so you also do that in the world of how you operate with your tenants and how you treat your clients called your tenants. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how you build this buy and hold portfolio. You've had some, well, you've had quite a lot of success with it. It's working for you. You're working it. So in the relationships that you build with your tenants, because are you all self, well, you can't be all self, or maybe you are. Do you self-manage everything? So I manage my properties in Calgary mm -hmm. and in Edmonton, I have a property manager. Two, uh, actually, they're sister-in-laws. So oh. I have employees okay, great. that work with me and I've spent a lot of time with them. They, they do it, um, Hashtag Renee style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So give me a little bit of insights into what it is that you drive. What are some of your top tips for managing and having great tenants in your properties and creating the relationships? I think it's really simple, but not a lot of people are committed to doing it long-term, but I really, it's really golden rule stuff. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. I mean, I treat my tenants with a ton of respect and I, I have notes about them all. And I remember things like their birthday and I remember things like the name of their pet. And I remember things like the name of their children. And, you know, uh, I've got some tenants that have had children. I've done a lot of, I, I've had my three children. So it was awesome to be able to, to give them a lot of the stuff from, from my family and help them out where I can. And I'm not saying that you need to just you know, give things to them to get them to stay. But it's just really, it's what can I do to make these lives just a little bit better, right? What can I do to make them feel like I really, really appreciate that they're living in one of my properties and taking great care of it. And, and it never fails to amaze me. I mean, I spent maybe $500 a property this spring just painting decks and taking care. And I did a walk around the other day and those yards look beautiful. They look like homeowner yards. And it's because I just, I just showed them that I wanted to make their yard a little bit nicer so, so that they could enjoy it this summer. And then, you know, they did the other 75% of the work. It's pretty cool. That is very cool. And that, once again, that's a relational transaction. You're looking after your clients, which are your tenants. But how do you track that kind of tenant? Like, do you have a, a unique 
or you know, what's your filter system for how you attract those types of tenants? Because there is a type of tenant that you're attracting, obviously. So what's the what's your screening process? So I don't get it right every time, but three years in, I have to say that we are not advertising very much anymore because most of the people come to me through word of mouth through other tenants because I'm very open that I own I believe in buying properties in little pockets. So I own properties in pockets of five. So I have five in Mackenzie Town in Calgary and five in Edmonton and five in Spruce Grove. And people know that I have other properties. And so when I originally screen them, I, I meet everybody personally. I shake their hands. We do do the screening. You know, we do do the credit checks and whatnot. But honestly, it's grown into a word of mouth business. We really don't have to advertise much anymore because people are so astounded by the service that they don't want to leave. And if there is an opening, they want their friends to move in. Well, that's a, you know, that's a pretty, I want to say it's unique. It's not as common in that you would, I mean, you're building the business that you're building. You've actually kind of put up your storefront and I'm Renee and I'm this amazing landlord and I'm going to be a contribution to giving you a place to live and actually supporting a, a I, you know, an up level of lifestyle by giving you a great yeah. property and I'm going to look after you. And that all of a sudden becomes your brand. So you're the, yeah. and what, I'm sorry, what is your business called again? You have a name for your property. It's, it's just my, it's just R-H-I. So Renee Hoos Investments. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> so creative. That's awesome. So, but once again, but that's also speaks to the simplicity of it doesn't have to be fancy logos and fancy brand names. Really, all your you're you're building your business based on the reputation of being a great landlord, a great property owner. And that yeah. serves you. I think there's some great lessons and some great takeaways in all of that. I think what people sometimes might think is that it's so much work to do that. But that's such a false concept because it's initially work to build a meaningful relationship. And then it's no work. I actually just ruled a lease last week and I asked the tenant, why are you signing with me for a third year? And they said, cause it's so easy. Mm. You just make it so easy. And that's just it. I thought it's so easy for me too, right? It was hard work to build a, a good, solid, firm relationship on the front end. And now it's easy. It's enjoyable to speak to them. And it costs me nothing. There's no turnover. So it's front end hard work for a long term benefit. Now, the style of properties you're buying are, you know, you, of course, that speaks to you're maintaining them well. You're, are you, did you buy some properties up front that were, relatively new? What style of property have you got that is attracting those kinds of clients? So don't ever tell my husband this, but he's not that handy. So <laughs> I'm sure you've mentioned that to him before. <laughs> That's great. We buy newer properties um, because renovations are not our specialty. I'm not saying that's right or wrong for us. Yes. That is not our specialty and that is not somewhere that that's not something I want to manage or deal. So I buy newer properties definitely built in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. That was a conscious decision that you made. Did you did you learn a lesson to get to that conclusion or were you pretty clear on that right up front? I often see people that are doing that. Yeah, I'm very clear on that. Yeah, that's just 
it just wasn't an option for me. Um, and Mike and I had made the decision that that was going to be my job. And it just wasn't an option for me to buy fixer uppers, if you will. So do you think it would yeah. be different if you had a job, if you were still being a trader and or still working? I know as a trader, you probably worked a lot of hours, but you know, if you had a job, could you still do it the way you do it? What would change for you in that regard? Because people listening are wanting to invest in real estate or they're investing in real estate and where they get maybe stuck on certain things is, gosh, I'm working 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. And how do I make this happen? Um, do you have any advice for that or thoughts around that? So I would say that once you start buying properties, you should manage the first couple yourself just to get an idea of how you want it done. And yeah, managing a huge real estate portfolio and working 60 hours a week and having a family, I don't think is possible. I mean, unless you don't sleep, but it's just not possible to do that. But for me, what I did was I really got an amazing system going with the first five properties I bought. I tried to manage them all myself, even the ones in Edmonton. It was insanity. So that lasted only a few months. And then I hired employees to help me out. But by that time, I knew exactly how I wanted it done. And so I really put in a lot of front end time training them. And now they are an absolute extension of me. They do things exactly how I would want them done. And that's, it's just as successful as a business in Edmonton as it is in Calgary. So you're pretty clear on it. It sounds like you're pretty pragmatic in your thought process of, uh, of that. Was, is that the, the nature of who you are or where did you kind of learn to be that way? So this comes down to some of the coachability stuff. I mean, sitting in rain meetings over the last three and a half years, I guess I'll say, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So if you come to rain and you sit in a meeting and there's 300 people in that room that are successful investors and somebody tells you, hey, you should think of X, Y, Z, then you should think of it. That's just the way I do things. So, I mean, a lot of people gave me great advice. And instead of just writing it in my notebook and forgetting about it, I would come home and implement it literally the next morning. And so I think I've taken a lot of great ideas from a lot of awesome investors in the room and put together a really great system. Now, do you find, you know, because this is an interesting conversation about how do you work in a community? How do you take advantage of and leverage all of the knowledge in the community? Um, you, would you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an extrovert. All right across the board. Because lots of extroverts show up the way they show up as extroverts, but they're actually introverts. So you are by nature an extrovert. You're a kind of a relationship and a people person and you like to get out and meet people shake hands and have conversations yeah and i wear my heart on my sleeve so i think it's fairly easy to get to know me right so if you're giving some guidance to you know people that are either in the rain room or considering investing in real estate overall if there was three things that you learned about yourself over the past three or four years of being a real estate investor what would they be what would you share with listeners about what your takeaways are and what you learned about yourself that, you know, when you shifted it, it actually moved you forward more. So first ask questions, use all of the resources in the room. And there are literally hundreds and people love to talk about themselves. So let them listen to any resource that like anyone that 
is willing to talk to you, let them tell you their story. Secondly, I would say it's hard to avoid, but try not to get shiny object syndrome. It is better to specialize. It is better to choose a strategy and really work on perfecting it instead of choosing 10 strategies and doing them all sort of halfway. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, I would just say be, I think it's be coachable, be open, come with a really open mind and an open heart too, and really try to take in as much as you can in the room without judgment, be as coachable as you can. What did you, what other development training have you done for yourself? Have you done landmark training? Have you done Tony Robbins stuff? Have you done any additional kind of training for yourself, personal, professional development stuff? Is that an ongoing thing for you? It is an ongoing thing for me. I'm definitely a work in progress. Um, I spent quite a bit of time working with a life coach a few years ago, and I did a lot of work around core values and life purpose. That was really, really powerful work for me. Um, and I've done a lot of that work with my family too. And the other, the other person that I love is Brene Brown. So I've read all of Brene's books and I've done a lot of the Brene Brown. She has a curriculum really around wholehearted living, how to show up. Her tagline is how to show up, be seen and live brave. And um, that work really resonated with me as well. It's highly recommended. So do you see that as, you know, for anybody in the world of real estate investing, do you see that kind of personal professional development as an intricate part or an integral part of success? You know, we can teach you how or you can learn how to invest in real estate, but there's a part of it. Do you see now in reflection just how big a part of that work that you did, whether it be with Brene Brown or your life coach and core values for your family, because to include your family in it, that's of course really getting alignment and buy-in from everybody. And Mm -hmm. so so when you reflect on that, do you see that that was an integral part of the success that you've had? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's as big of a part of my journey as actually buying the real estate. And I don't think... Mike and I would have had the success we've had with our portfolio, with our marriage, with the whole strategy without having done that work. Was it hard for you when you did that work? You know, I find that as I, you know, over my, you know, over my own development and personal development is that I've always been pretty willing to reflect and look at myself and say, holy cow, I've got to change that. And, uh, but there was a time where maybe I needed to be right, or maybe I just was resisting having to change who I was. Do you find that for you, did you, did you gain momentum in terms of doing that life coaching work or doing that development work with Brene Brown that you had to really make a conscious effort to change how you were being, who you were being, how you were viewing the world? Was that hard work for you? Oh, for sure. It's, it's massive work to, because ultimately when you start the process, a lot of it feels really yucky. Right. And, and my knee jerk reaction is like, get me out of here. Like get me out of this thought process, get me out of this conversation. And the fact of the matter is, I think as you move through that work, what you start to realize is that when it feels yucky, like that's probably where it is. Right. And Instead of feeling, I think as you get, do more of it and get better of it and just get more conscious, you realize that 
that's where the curiosity needs to live. And so now I'm very conscious of when I'm doing something where, whether it's showing up in a relationship, having a conversation, dealing with my kids, I'm very conscious of when I step outside of my alignment because I immediately get that feeling. And instead of just getting out of the conversation and shoving it under the rug, now I can find the curiosity. And I think I would really encourage people to, to do some of that work because it's really powerful, right? Because instead of being stuck, you can move forward through that bump. It's pretty cool work. That's great. Now, you are, of course, a super mom and you love being a mom. And that's really, and, I, and having conversations with you. And, and I know that's a big part of your life. And what are you going to teach your kids about money, do you think? Is there, what, what do you want that view for the, in their world? Because now as successful parents, you know, you're looking after their needs financially, but what do you think, how do you think you're going to teach them about money and the value of money? You came from a place of lack or not enough, and they're coming from a place of abundance. And what's the shift do you think you'll, you'll focus on for your kids in terms of how they understand money and working for money? So this is a big one for me, um, because that's a question that I've had for a lot of years and I've stumbled across the answer in real estate. So my kids do a lot of real estating with me and they've gotten to know my tenants and we talk a lot about mom working hard to provide those, those houses for those people and how hard those people are working to live in those houses. And they just come, they come from a different spot than my kids do. And it's funny, Mike and I have just asked that question for years. How do we give them perspective? And, and we found it and it's having them involved in this journey with us. So you're very intentional about it. I think that's such a, you know, how, whatever the philosophy around it is, it's not just happening organically, you're actually being very intentional around your thought process of how you're going to raise the kids and the relationship to real estate, to money, to wealth, to work, all of those things. Yeah, we are very intentional about it. And I think, I think we need to be, or we'd be really doing our kids a disservice. So as we wind down the conversation today, I'd like to just finish up with some, some really fun rapid fire questions. And, uh, you know, they're meant to, you know, Throw, throw you a couple curveballs along the way, Renee, and I think you'll deliver on them well. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite swear word? Fuck. <laughs> really? You use that? Oh, my gosh. Never in front of your children. If you weren't doing real estate and you weren't being a mortgage broker, what would you do? I'd be a professional skier. Oh, that's a, yeah, you love skiing. You're a big downhill person. So if uh, heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Oh, this one worked hard. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Seven. Okay, so that's, that's not bad. That's not too weird. I don't find you too weird. What are you <laughs> not very good at? What are you not very good at? We know Mike's not necessarily a handy kind of guy. What, <laughs> what, what are you not very good at? I am administratively challenged. If you saw the desk I was sitting at right now, you would gasp in horror. 
Room, desk, or your car? What are you going to clean first? Desk. <laughs> but you're sitting around a messy desk. Mm, <laughs> yes. I don't know, Renee. Favorite song. What do you got? You got a favorite tune? Yes. Uh, Garth Brooks. I'm a diehard, diehard Garth Brooks fan. And um, Shameless. What's your favorite movie? Tommy Boy. Wow, that's an old movie. Yeah, it's so funny. Gosh, okay. I was a huge Chris Farley fan. <laughs> okay. What are you grateful for, Renee? My family. Hmm. All of them. Well, I'm grateful for knowing you. I'm grateful for you being on the show. I'm just grateful that we had the opportunity to chat today. And lots of takeaways for our listeners in the journey and in their process of becoming the everyday millionaire. You know, the show was always built in or is intended to highlight pretty ordinary people that really are achieving some extraordinary things. And for me, Renee, as I had the opportunity to get to know you and observe what you're doing and who you're being while you're doing it, there's a lot of extraordinary in how you show up and how you are a contribution. And, and I'm very grateful for that and being part of that, uh, being part of a little bit of part of your life. So thank you for being on the show. And uh, look forward to catching up again afterwards. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.